This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. So in my family, you know, everyone above from my mother or the women before her all uh, wove. They were all weavers. Um, and my mom is originally from Avao and Fangamalo in Savai. So these are areas that are still to date very much uh, traditional in their approach to weaving. The women in Langipo Eva Sherelle Jackson's family were master weavers and specialized in the Yetonga, a fine mat used in all kinds of special Samoan ceremonies. The earliest memories I have of weaving were the glaukomos hanging, hanging and lying on the ground being dried. So I remember running over those and hearing the crackling of the dried, the bandanas leaf, the lokum. And I remember that being one of my earliest memories. And then, of course, prickling your fingers on the, the middle stem of the bandana sleeve. Forget the stock markets. Forget Bitcoin. Think shells. Think stone. Think mats woven from bandana sleeves that are so delicate you could mistake them for silk. These are the items that hold value for us. It might not get you a new car, although sometimes it will, but it's a different kind of currency. We share these things at funerals, at weddings, birthdays, major celebrations. And the more you give, well, it can be a sign that you're a wealthy person. And sometimes that desire for more can get us in trouble because these treasures aren't like money. You can't just print more when you run out. I'm Sayuli Salamasina von Reiki, and this is Culture Compass, the show about survival, revival, and connection throughout the Pacific. So how can we make sure these priceless items are used for the original purpose, while still earning money to put food on the table? The unique value of our cultural objects comes down to the fact that they're all made by hand. Langipo Iva remembers seeing her aunties weaving the Iatonga for the first time. When you're sitting in the open fale, in our family's main fale, you know, there's the strips of, uh, of the leaves, of the mat, uh, as they are weaving. So those are the memories, the early memories. And you're as kids, you're being told because they use these large river rocks to hold down sides of the of the fine mat or the, the mat that they are weaving so they can continue. So that was your job as a kid is to move these large rocks around to help the, the older ladies continue with their work. I can relate to that. I used to do the same thing. And <laughs> getting shouted at if getting you do it the wrong way. Yes, <laughs> you didn't do it properly. Right. <laughs> Are there many women in your family currently still making fine mats? So to date, uh, the women that I'm aware of in my family are all in back in my mom's village uh, in Fangamalo. So we have two aunties whom I know we've, like today, if you walk into her house, she's got fine mats underway. 
So in in our current generation, there are still women who are weaving and they are part of like women's committees. Um, and that's really what's sustaining the craft at the moment is the continuous use of the falalili'i and the iatonga as part of the women's committees um, monthly kind of check-ins with with the families. Have you had a fine mat made for you? Yes, we had uh, my mom commissioned a fine mat for me for my wedding. I commissioned a fine mat for her funeral um, and then for the birth of my children. And it's so interesting that we still keep these in the back of our minds. We always have to make sure we've got that fine mat going for our daughters. For when they grow up, they must have this fine mat for when they get married. And it's so lovely to see that you're still keeping that tradition going. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that we always do, right? Like we take for granted as Samoans that we just do it. So it was never a question in my mind that even though my children are growing up outside of Samoa, they have their fine mats and they have their siapos that they will pass down to their children. That's so wonderful to hear. Because I understand your auntie used to weave these silky fine mats. Yeah, it was one of my great aunts. Um, she wove the silky fine mats, the Iamamai. And has anybody else woven since she's passed on? In our family, not that I can I can recall. Um, but I remember distinctly uh, when we used to visit Mom's Village, we would stop by at all the women's committee houses. Um, and the old ladies were doing that. Like every women's committee house, had that one lady who was weaving that the finest fine mats. Um, and that was so beautiful to see for me. Like you have this 70-year-old woman bending over because they have a little table, right, that's about um, knee high that comes up to their waist while seated um, so that it's closer to their eye level. But they're weaving cloth-like patterns with their bare hands, no eyeglasses, nothing. I just, I found that fascinating as a child. Wow. Can you tell me what you remember of how they weaved these incredible mats? In the process of helping the, the, the old ladies weave, right, moving the rocks here and there, you sit down eventually and they guide you through a line, through doing, completing one line of the weave. It is not as straightforward as it seems. You just assume that it's a straight weave. But when it comes to the fine mat, there's like this these double layers that you wouldn't know how to do unless one of these uh, women who are good with the craft um, teach you. So as I think I was around maybe seven or eight when I sat down and learned from one of the, the old ladies in my family. It wasn't difficult. As you know, as a child, you're just soaking everything up. I recall enjoying the process and seeing the end results was quite beautiful. And it, and it does, it comes out like silk. Right. So describe it would be like what you're wearing, like the knit, uh, like, um, like a thicker kind of knit. You know, before she passed away, she would have sort of realized that she was kind of like the last person to be weaving these mats. Do you recall at all how she felt at the time? It's only when this question was posed to me earlier in preparation for this interview that I realized that we no longer have that craft in the family. 
and that I no longer see that. It was rare enough as it was, but I have inherited um, my my great-grandmother's one that was passed down, so I inherited that, and it's still in my possession. So even though the craft is gone, it still remains. There's uh, tangible evidence that that was there in our family. And these are treasures that we hold so dearly once we get one of those. Let's just say if there was a fire, that's the first thing I'm picking up and then my kids. <laughs> <laughs> you can understand why Langipoiva wouldn't want to lose her precious Ietonga. It's not like she can go down to the shops and pick up another one. Andi Maimalanga Tafuna'i is one of the founders of Women in Business Development, working with Samoan women to gain economic independence. Over the last three decades, they've been working to bring back the old art of weaving Samoan fine mats. We began in the early 1990s. And yeah, so we began looking at trying to help people find opportunities for them to earn an income where they lived and create sustainable livelihoods so they didn't all have to leave and come into the, the urban center or even leave Samoa. And we've been doing that ever since. We realized how small Samoa was and we couldn't really rely on local markets for a consistent source of income. And so we started exporting. Our whole program is uh, organically certified through NASA, the National Association for Sustainable Agriculture of Australia. And that's what we're doing. But our, when we started, it was really difficult to find a business idea. And uh, at that time, we were working with the fine mat, but it was still the mat malaw, the, the very hard mats. So we, what we were trying to do is get them to come back and get back to the fine weaving. So we did that as a sponsorship program and people were earning money and we thought, oh my gosh, we've got a business idea right under our noses. And we ended up working in like, oh gosh, about 185 villages, I think. Yeah, so that was our first business idea. So what was the state of the craft like back then? I'd really like to um, talk about two women in particular, Pula Vaifo Faraimo. She helped us with the Iama law, we were calling it, because there were very few. In fact, I think there were just two villages here that were actually doing the ESI, the authentic year. And it was really, really difficult for us because everywhere we went, there were women who had grown up without even knowing what an amazing, amazing, beautiful um, uh, item we had. And um, so then we we went and found someone, an old lady called V. Lealava Vaipai from Manono. V taught us everything. And uh, you wouldn't believe it, Salah, when we went out into the villages, we took her, she was 75 years old. The weavers had forgotten They'd first of all, they'd forgotten the quality of what the fine mat should be like. They'd forgotten the actual shape. You know how we do great big long ones? They should be smaller, lolopofapea. It was very difficult for them because they hadn't touched one, you know, and they weren't using lauia, a lot of them. They were using the laufala. So the lauia is a specific 
pandanus leaf that is used for the, the low ear and, you know, as they sigh and it, it's just an amazing, amazing process. And yeah, so we just kind of, after deciding that that's what we needed to do, we had, we needed to learn ourselves. So we did a lot of research. We, gosh, and, and the sad thing was everything we learned came from books like Kramer's books and um, from writings out of Te Papa in New Zealand and nothing actually really written by, um, by Samoans. So, yeah, and, and, and it took our staff actually all sitting down and weaving so that when we went out into the villages, we would, um, you know, the women are already really good weavers. So who were we to go in and talk to them about you should be doing it this way or whatever? It was really nice that we could take V, but it was even better that we could sit in front of them with our own ears and weave while they were doing it. Yeah. Can you describe that process a bit more for me? How do the weavers actually make these mats? This ear side that I'm talking about is the traditional fine mat of the old days. It's made with a, a specific pandanus that has been stripped and uh, just one side of the pandanus leaf used, and you make these very small strips and you put two bits together. It's really, really um, difficult to, to maneuver. And um, so it's just one. There are many other kinds of mats that are made with the laufala, with the um, ordinary pandanus, and that's a totally different pandanus that's used for that. Okay, you're done weaving. The first thing you do after that is you bathe the fine mat. And it's a it's such a process after it's been soaking all night, you lay it out in the morning when the sun's everything with this, this old lady, Vile Alava, we had to do it right. And when the sun's coming up, you lay the mat out on some other uh, fala on the on the ground and um, you put leaves around it and then rocks on top of the leaves and then you pull the mat and it stretches out and then you actually you actually soak the mat and and you know flatten it the process is you're actually bathing you're rubbing the soap and you're like rubbing your hands over the fine mat and then you wash it all down and then you go and hang it up so that it dries in the breeze and the, the sun coming down what were the main challenges in bringing these skills back for most of the women who weave on our sponsorship program, they know that they have to weave a really good fine mat. But at the back, there's another big ugly one that they're weaving and, and they tell us that's for Falavelave. Ah, yes, the Falavelave. It's a big Samoan gathering where the whole community comes together, like for weddings, funerals, birthdays. It's an occasion where you bring gifts to exchange. And in the past, you just bring one item of significant value as a sign of respect. But things have gotten a bit out of hand these days, where people go into debt to bring a ton of gifts or go for quantity over quality. Which is why Andy is talking about these weavers often working on two mats at a time. A really fine one and another one that maybe isn't as high quality that they can make much faster for the Fa'ala 
talking about the falavelaves of the old day and how simple it was where you you something would happen and you'd get up and go you know and take whatever you had you didn't run around and get yourself into debt and what have you to to um to you know to come and bring this so that people will see that you brought all this stuff and um yeah so i think um Sorry, but I think Falafel Lovers have gotten a little bit out of hand. Um, I wish that it hadn't, but it's just the way of, um, I, well, I, I was going to say progress, but I don't know which way <laughs> that progress. Would you say we use the Iatonga as currency as well? In the old days, that's what they, they looked at it as being the wealth of the Samoan. I don't know about currency, okay. but that was your wealth. Yeah. Hmm. How has learning to weave the ear changed the lives of these women? Gosh, they've, I'll tell you about Talalele, who lives in Satawa. Actually, when Tala started weaving, she just started weaving the beautiful mat. Her mother must have taught her. So she's weaved for years. And when we first went out, when we heard about her and we went to Satawa, she lived in a house, Sala. If she was weaving her mat, nobody else could fit in her house. They were just able to build this tiny little thing. And uh, then so we got her on the sponsorship program and she just started fixing her house and fixing her house. So she's got this cute little house with a veranda. They live quite a lot inland and she's got a, a tank there, you know, because of the water. About two years ago, she said her kids are going to school now and the school is quite away and I nearly died because she said she wants a loan to buy a car. And I'm like, we don't encourage loans. But I thought she's just worked so hard. And uh, so we went through the whole thing. We tried to teach them financial literacy as well while they're learning this. And so we told, okay, you save a thousand tala so that when we take you to the bank, you've got to have enough money in your bank account. And she's paid off her car. She got this cute little car and her husband drives her kids to school. She's got a daughter at university who's doing a Bachelor of Business uh, or who comes here and works in the holidays, you know, to just to get um, extra money. That's the life of a weaver, but the fine math is always there. <laughs> well, your amazing work, changing all these lives. But um, has the art of weaving these mats changed over time or have they brought back the old ways? No, the old way has definitely come back. It's sad because a lot of families kind of kept it to themselves. It's like even with the Siva Samoa, you know, you've got families who really know it well and they won't share what they know. So that's probably how things got lost. Tell us a bit about the customers who are coming to purchase the fine mats. Most of them from overseas. We're trying to get more local people to sponsor. Quite a number of Tongan people sponsor. We're trying to keep most of the mats here. And having people understand that we should really take pride in it, you know, and not take those great big bundles of mats overseas for a falavelave, but just take one, you know, because you can fold it up really small. You just, the, the, the woman would put it in her bag. Are young women showing interest in learning the practice? No, it's really, really sad. And I think it's because the mothers don't insist on it. You know, I remember going out to Tuftafoy once and the mom was sitting on the floor weaving 
She was paying for the daughter's school fees at the National University of Samoa. It was holidays. The daughter was sleeping on the bed. Mm. And, you know, I, I said, it would really be nice if she came here and you taught her how to weave this. Yeah. Uh, because she's she's not going to, you know, remember how it's done or anything. Sadly, because you think of the old days, uh, how... This is how you learned, you know, just to learn the facade more and you follow um, whoever, you know, your parent or your grandparent for anything. And you just learn. That's how that's how people learn. Why is it so important for us to keep this tradition going? You know, when I first came here, Sala, that was the thing I, the thing I wanted to see most was a fine mat. And it took a while <laughs> before I actually saw a really, really nice one. It takes about 35 36 weeks to complete a really good one and uh you know and they're really really valuable and the older they get they're just priceless it's hard to put a dollar value on items of cultural significance but in the solomon islands there are special shells used as a common currency in the capital honiara mary sifobori runs the only shop where you can buy strings of these precious shells, known as tafuliai. Oh, I've learned uh, making so money just by um, our ancestors because this uh, so money it, it is a culture, it is a traditional uh, um, product that has been practiced by our great ancestors, been passed from generation to generation. Like for me, I, uh, I've learned from my father and my mother because they used that. In the, in the days, and they have generated uh, many to sell many products as well. Wonderful. Can you please describe the process of making it? Making the tafulai, it takes 10, uh, 10 steps to complete the process of making tafulai. So like the first process, we have to vote the cells from the other island provinces that they uh, have the cells. And then we have to uh, break the cells into smaller uh, bits and the third step, we have to drill the cells so that they can have smaller uh, holes in, in the middle of the cell, in the base of cells. And then after that, we have to put the cells into um, strings. And later, the boys, usually are engaged boys, to grind the cells into finer um, pieces. And then after that, we have to bend the cells so that it can turn from the black color into red or brown color that you wanted for the tassel eye. And then after, they have to really uh, grind the cells again. And then uh, lastly, we put the cells into strings and then ready for the tassel eye. <laughs> so how many shells would be used in just one tassel eye? Basically, it, it involves four different types of cells, the white cells, the black cells, and the pure red cells that was in the middle of the tafuliai, and the other cells was the light brown one. Are the shells that you use, is it difficult to find them, or are they quite common? <laughs> um, in the bike days, it is uh, quite easy to find, like just beside our villages, but nowadays, uh, the cells have been gone and we have to search for them in the other island province before we could find them. Do different shells have different value? 
the red cell that was in the middle of the tafuli, that was the most expensive one. Like we value it most because it's really hard to find that type of cells. And the other cells, uh, the value is quite cheap, like because it's easier to find them. Um, so the so the prices and the value depends on how we are can cater to find those type of cells. Oh, is it is it because it's hard to find? Hard uh-huh. to find, like it takes uh, someone to find a one one piece, uh, one piece of that cell uh, uh, half an hour. Yeah, depend on where the cell is. Why is it becoming difficult to find the shells that you use for your shell money? Uh, like um, before, our ancestors, our, our forefathers, they used to grow the shells just beside our village, like the seafront. But uh, people nowadays, they use uh, dynamite and all those stones, so nothing. So it gets uh, destroyed the shells from the outdoors. Why are you doing anything to help preserve them? One way is like I'm trying to educate in the younger ones and uh, to grow the cells again beside our uh, villages or different so that it, it can easier for the new uh, the next generation to to use the cells like better than uh, looking for the cells at the other island provinces. So we are trying to educate in the younger ones to keep the cells and do away with the dynamite pollution and other pollution that used to uh Coil the sales in the sea. Can you please tell me who are the customers at your shop? Um, that salmon shop actually we are targeting customers uh, from the nine provinces here in Honiara, and uh, basically out of the nine provinces, there are three provinces that are mostly demanding this sell uh, money, like Malaysia province. They demanded it for bride price ceremonies, uh, bridal occasions. Uh, compensation and the other province was Makira province. Like they also demanded the sell money for bride uh, bride prices. And the last three was a Guadalcanal province, this province where the capital was located at. Are there many other people in the Salman Islands who know how to make the tafuliae? Um, actually, only the Lazarenga people where I came from because it is a, a Kai culture and a product that is unique. So no other islands here in Solomon Islands know how to how to make the product that are fully eyes. So only the Lagalanga people. What kind of ceremonies do people exchange uh shell money? Uh the right price ceremony, like uh where the the gold side they have to bought the shell money and then they took it to the uh, bride. They can uh, have the the power to get the bride. <laughs> so the more the more shell money you give, that's the more you love that bride, and that's how much you want her. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> how much would you sell just one tafuliai? In the past, the, the tafuliai is cost one thousand and five hundred dollars for one uh, one tafuliai. But uh, right now, uh, the Tafuli Eye is now $1,000. The, the bad thing about it, like, uh, there is no uh, law, there is no second uh, regulation that can guide the, the value of the sale money. So every time it depends on the buyers and the sellers in the market. 
sometimes it, it depends on the demand that people they come like a week for myself i can sell 10 to 15 couple eyes did your husband have to give bride money for you for when you got married oh wow yeah absolutely <laughs> um my husband um have gave my parents uh 10 couple eyes that was the long one and the 30 of the white type of cells to my parents in 2019 before we get married. <laughs> Although it's not cold, hard cash, it's something even more special. From shells collected by hand in remote parts of the Solomon Islands to silky mats in Samoan homes all over the world. These are our traditions that defy dollars transcend time and are a sign that our cultures are strong. This is Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. Culture Compass is hosted by me, Sayuli Salamasina von Raiki. Our ABC Radio Australia executive producer is Falangafulu Inga Stunsner. From Deadset Studios, our producer is Grace Pashley and our executive producer is Rachel Fountain. This episode was produced on the lands of the Torrebol, Jagara, and Dorambol people. We pay our respects to elders past and present. <laughs> <laughs>